Well, once again, as sometimes happens at this time of year, I'm dealing with a little tickle that stays in my throat for a month or two after I get a get a cold, so dealing with that right now, but hopefully should be okay here. <clears throat> Patient anticipation is our title this morning. Second Peter three, eight to fourteen is our text. Today, as we heard earlier, is the second Sunday in Advent. Uh, Advent means arrival or coming. And during the season of Advent, we, uh, we think about Jesus coming the first time and also coming again the second time. And we think about them in particular, not from the point of the arrival itself, but the point uh, of expectation and anticipation, looking forward to Jesus' arrival. Now, we might think of the first Advent as being uh, completed. So, you know, even, even during Advent, we might talk about Jesus' arrival as, because that already has happened. So we think about it in that sense. But we especially celebrate the arrival at Christmas and, uh, and the couple Sundays after that. So we're still looking forward uh, to, um, uh, to his first coming. In a sense, and during Advent, we look forward to it, even though we know what happens. Um, the next three Sundays here, the third one being actually Christmas Eve, that's the third Sunday of Advent this year since it falls on that day, um, these three Sundays I will be looking at the epistle text for the Sunday. Now, since these texts were written after Jesus' life on earth, uh, they generally and naturally look forward to the second Advent, but with a view back to his first Advent. So that's the focus of these texts, looking back to his first advent and then forward to the second. And um, even where we don't see that backward look in the text are, itself, our other readings that we have on the Sunday morning kind of bring that in, and so they tie together. Uh, these texts roughly line up with the particular candle that we have on each Sunday. At least that's how we'll be looking at them. So today we have the candle of peace, and the theme that we're looking at is uh, not peace itself in the, in the title, but it's related to peace. Uh, we have patience as the theme, and there's a sense in which those, uh, there can be a connection between peace and patience. Our text today is from Second Peter. Um, before we get to it, we want a little bit of context. Uh, Peter is writing to people who are going through some, some really tough times, some especially difficult times, even times of persecution. And so he's writing to encourage them to stay strong in the faith, to stand firm on the foundation of truth that they have received, that they have believed, and not to be turned away by people who might be preaching something false. He wants to encourage them to avoid that false teaching. This is an encouragement and an attitude that is applicable at any time in history and certainly still today. Related to Jesus' second coming, Peter wants to warn these Christians to be careful for those who may question the reality of Jesus coming again. In particular, he says that those, there are those who will come scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they will question the reality of a second coming of Jesus, which really, you know, when you think about it, calling into question a second coming calls into question also his first coming. Here's the attitude, as Peter portrays it, of some who may come. Where is this coming that he has promised? Ever since our fathers died, 
Everything goes on, and as it has, since the beginning of creation. Will Jesus really come again? Nothing ever changes in history, is how they say that. Life just goes on, and people die. Jesus isn't coming again. That's the perspective that they're taking. <clears throat> now, that's a slightly different take on it than what we might find today. Generally speaking, today we find the whole story, the whole worldview called into question, don't we? Not only is Jesus not coming again, but there wasn't anything special about his coming the first time, if really we can even believe any of the stories of that, right? That's in the worldview of our culture today. There's, there's nothing special, there's nothing true. Not only has everything gone on as it has since the beginning of creation, our culture around us won't even talk about creation anymore, right? There is nothing beyond this world. There is nothing supernatural. There is no hope of anything to come. There is no hope for justice except for whatever we might find, uh, hopefully, here in this life, maybe, if we are lucky, in a relatively pain-free life, or as close as we can get to that in this life. If we look only at the surface of our lives and at events in this world, it might be easy in our lives to give in to this kind of thinking. After all, we're not generally seeing miracles, supernatural events that we can easily identify as such. It does in many ways seem like life does just go on as it has from the beginning. Especially when we consider that it's been 2,000 years since Jesus lived his life on this earth and returned to heaven. That's a long time, 2,000 years. It seems like things just keep going on. Where is this coming that he has promised? The scoffers say, you believe in fairy tales. There's nothing happening. God is not doing anything. There's no reason to think that. There's no reason to think that someone named Jesus is going to come again. And before we get to our text this morning, with that in mind, where Peter, in our text, draws from an Old Testament psalm, he begins his answer to this by saying, they, the scoffers, those who mock the story and thinking about Jesus coming again, they forget, and he says, deliberately forget, that the heavens and earth existed and the earth was formed out of water by God's hand. They ignore that. They push it to the side. And this is laying the foundation for the promise that we get to in our text today. By water also, he says, the world of that time was flooded and destroyed. Everything hasn't been going on as it always was. And by God's word, also, the heavens and earth that exist right now are being reserved for fire at the day of judgment. So he's, he's counteracting these thoughts. This is what those who scoff at the story of God's word have forgotten. And as Peter says, often intentionally. And the key part that Peter wants us to remember then, and how that impacts our lives, comes in our text today. And uh, before we get the, to the text, I realized I meant to do this earlier, and I didn't. But I wanted to say thanks to Pastor Mark and to John also for bringing God's Word to us the last uh, few Sundays uh, while we were gone. So that was uh, uh, appreciated, that, them taking that, uh, taking that role. So uh, today, our text is from Second Peter 3, uh, 8 
to 14. So I'll invite you to stand as we read that. Second <clears throat> Peter 3, 8 to 14, reading in Jesus' name. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Father, thank you for this word to us today as we think about Jesus coming again. Help us to consider uh, Peter's words to the church so long ago and also to us today and the promise that we find in them. Guide us as we consider that this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll invite uh, any of the kids that want to to come up to the front here. Come on up. All right. Hey, looking pretty good. Oh, are you guys uh, waiting, waiting for me? Waiting for something? You kind of expected me to be down here, probably. You guys did a good job of waiting. How long do you think you would have waited before you kind of tried to figure out what was going on? <laughs> you did a good job of waiting there a little bit. Um, today, we're thinking about waiting. I don't know if you heard it in uh, what I said already or in the text that we read, but we're thinking about and waiting for Jesus to come again, right? Do we know when that's going to happen? What do you think? No. That's right. Very well said. It could be in a million years. It could be tomorrow, right? We don't know. We don't have any idea when Jesus is coming back again. But he is coming back, right? Do we know that? Yeah, we know that. Yeah, it could be 10 days. Could could be 100 more days. Yeah, we don't know. But in the meantime, yeah, or 10 more. So in the meantime, we're just waiting. We're waiting. And what we're listening for, Peter tells us about something that we should be doing while we're waiting. And, and we hear about being able to wait patiently. Is it hard to be patient sometimes? Yeah. If you're waiting for something? Nope. No? It's not hard? Well, that's good. One time I was my birthday. It was your birthday? Ah, waiting to open presents, yeah. Oh, waiting? Were you waiting patiently then if you were walking around the room? Were you kind of pacing? It's, yeah, it's hard to wait for something that good that we know is coming, right? Well, um, 
We wait. We do wait for Jesus to come again. And it's going to be really good when he does. So here are some people um, waiting. Just says, please wait here. So that's what I'm going to give you guys today. They're waiting. And you can determine if they're waiting patiently or not. So that's what we're listening for. Uh, We're listening for waiting. And what we do while we're waiting patiently for Jesus to come again. Thanks for coming up, guys. You guys all got one? You can go back to your parents now. (laughs) Now we're thinking about waiting, anticipation, right? Um, As as Peter, as we get get to our text here, as Peter is responding or, or preparing other people to respond to those who may call into question whether God acts in this world and whether he he will do anything and whether Jesus is coming again. Um, And as we respond, whether in our own thinking or in conversation with others who call into question whether God acts in this world, Peter has begun his argument by stating and reminding people of what God has already done. His argument is that people who speak of God uh, not being active in this world deliberately ignore and forget what God has already done. That's what they're doing. They're deliberately ignoring and forgetting that. Um, We remember what God has done as we read his word. It's also true uh, that along with knowing what God has done, that those things were a long time ago. So that's true. They were a long, long ago. Creation and the flood that destroyed the world were thousands of years in the past, even in Peter's time. They were long ago. As we heard our gospel reading uh, this morning from Mark, he quoted prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. And uh, we heard that prophecy, or I guess we read that prophecy uh, together in our responsive reading earlier. Between what we read in the responsive reading and when Mark quotes it, in, uh, as he records the story of Jesus, there was a gap of over 600 years between the statement in Isaiah and the quotation of it in Mark. As we think about the peace that God gives us, as we look for peace in God, there is a part of peace that has an element of, of patience, of waiting patiently. This patience begins with God. As Peter reflects on things that happened millennia in the past, and as we reflect on things that happened millennia in the past, as we look forward to the, uh, to the future, Peter says this, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And that's alluding to a psalm where that is stated Now, I think as we hear that, we all realize that this is not an exact equation, right? So uh, we can't say, well, it's been two days since Jesus went back to heaven, right? You know, 2,000 years now. It's not, you know, we know that that's not what we find in this. The idea here is that time is not an issue for God. There isn't a time limit on his promises. He's not around somewhere else doing something else not paying attention as the world goes on and maybe someday he'll come back. There is purpose in God's timing. And it's all happening 
Uh, he is involved in all of it, in a sense, in the present tense. Always. He's always a part of it. The Lord, as Peter says, is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's not just delaying because he doesn't feel like acting. There's purpose, again. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. As we think about the theme of patient anticipation, we are anticipating Jesus' return and anticipating what that means for our hope of it for eternity. That's the anticipation part of this, the anticipation part of the, of the title for this sermon. Um, the other part is being patient. But this is not an aimless being patient, just uh, sitting around without purpose. There, there is purpose in this patience. And we see that in God being patient. God is patient with us. He wants the good news that he has for us, he wants that out in the world so that more and more people can believe in him, believe in his son, and be saved for eternity. That's what he is patient for. If we are to have peace in being patient, waiting for Jesus' second coming, this peace is reliant to some extent, or maybe entirely, on our understanding of God's patience for us. God is patient, and because of that, we can wait in patient anticipation. After all, the fact uh, that Jesus has not come again for 2,000 years, and the fact that we have no way of knowing exactly when it might be, doesn't mean that it couldn't be right around the corner, as we heard from the kids, right? It could be at any time. Peter says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Like a thief means that we don't see all the preparation work that goes into the event that is in question. If we think about a thief coming to break in someplace and rob it, we don't see all the work that a thief does in preparing to rob a house or a bank or a business or whatever it may be. We just see the activity of a thief from the moment of the thievery, right? That's where we see the activity. If we knew about all the preparation, we would have worked to stop it, right? In that case, in the case of a thief. Um, the, the activity of thievery by a thief comes suddenly without warning. In the same way, we don't see all of the behind-the-scenes work of God getting ready for Jesus' second coming and the final judgment. We don't see all of that. Now, we can see evidence of it as we see the spreading of the good news around the world, but we don't see all, <coughs> we don't see all that God is doing and understanding everything that he's, He is doing in waiting for the right time. We simply see, and we will see, the moment that it happens. And here we can see some resemblance to the way that Mark records Jesus' first coming. The Gospel of John begins with a preface, introducing the larger picture of uh, what John is going to tell us about who Jesus is and what he has done. Matthew begins with a genealogy, and then he tells a few stories of Jesus' birth before he gets into Jesus' ministry. Luke has a longer narrative preceding the birth 
of John the Baptist and going through that story and then telling of Jesus' birth being predicted and then Jesus' birth. So it's a longer introduction. Mark, on the other hand, as we heard this morning, he simply says, hey guys, I'm starting the story. And then he makes reference to the entire prophecy and promise of the Old Testament by one single quotation. And then boom, he's right into it. It's just kind of like, we're starting. John appeared in the wilderness. And he just, there he is. And he moves quickly from there into Jesus' ministry so that by verse 14 of, of the book that he is writing, we have John's ministry described. We have Jesus introduced. Jesus has been baptized. He's been tempted. And he, it's, the, the story is already moving into his ministry. That's this, like, boom, it's here. Now, Jesus' first coming, of course, had a little bit more development to it than what we understand his second coming will have. But on a scale of centuries and millennia, it was also rather abrupt. It was really just a period of a few years. As, especially as we saw, as we consider the prophecy that Mark quotes, it came centuries earlier, and no one knew exactly when it would happen. So, in that perspective, Jesus' ministry really did just come all of a sudden. People weren't necessarily expecting it right then. In the same way, Jesus' return could happen at any time. And then, <clears throat> what Peter said the earth is reserved for will happen. And he says this again. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. We are waiting patiently for something that will come rather suddenly and could come at any moment. But what does this patient anticipation look like in our lives? Are we simply sitting around twiddling our thumbs? Has anybody really, have you ever really twiddled your thumbs? I don't know. That, we talk about twiddling our thumbs, but I don't know if we ever actually do it. But are we just sitting around doing nothing as we wait? <clears throat> do we acknowledge that Jesus will come again and then secure in that knowledge, simply live our lives without really giving it much thought? Peter asks that question now. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? What should our lives be like? Knowing that this world will be destroyed as Jesus comes again, what should that look like? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. What type of lives are holy and godly as he described them? Holy lives are those that are set apart for God. They are lives that are distinct from those who live only for their own interests or for the pleasures and enjoyments of this life. Holy lives are different than that. Holy lives are those lived in service of God. This, is, this idea is reinforced as we also talk about godly lives. These are lives lived with God's purpose at the center. Lives lived in harmony with God's will. As we look forward to the day of God, as, as Peter says, and speed its coming. Did you think about that? Do our actions really have an impact on when Jesus comes again? 
Peter seems to be alluding to an Old Testament passage where God talks about himself, he himself, speeding his own coming. He's bringing it on. What would speed his coming? What would make it come more quickly? As we, as we heard about God's patience, not wanting anyone to be lost, but everyone to be saved, the thing that would speed his coming, as we think about it in that way, is that more people are saved. As people are saved and are, and are brought to him, that brings about Jesus' return. Do we really speed his coming? Do we have a part in that? Well, here we have a paradox that we find in multiple places in Scripture. God asks us, for example, to pray in a way where we are told that our prayers have an effect. And yet, we know that things are perfectly in God's control. So, why would he change things due to our prayers? How would they have an effect? Well, I don't think that there's necessarily a good, clear answer to that question. We simply know that God is in control, and we also know that he tells us to pray, and that it has an effect. Similarly, God speeds his second coming, Jesus' second coming, as he works in this world. And he does that work through us, and through that, we speed his second coming. So, patient anticipation does not leave us twiddling our thumbs. It does not leave us simply living out our lives for our own enjoyment as we wait passively for his return. Instead, we, <coughs> instead, we can ask the question, <clears throat> sorry, we can ask the question about everything we do, how does this serve God's purposes? You might think of it this way. When I arrange my day, you know, what time of day do I wake up? How I nourish and strengthen my body, the regular activities of the day, whether it be time in God's Word, time connecting to the news of this world, time connecting with friends, or simply relaxing, or the work that needs to be done. How do these things serve God's purposes? As we choose our, our working, our vocation, our learning, our activities, how do these serve God's purposes? Peter has spoken primarily of this world being reserved for judgment, and he reiterates that here again, but he also reminds us of the promise that comes with that. He says again, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This is where we get our encouragement to not passively wait, but instead wait in patient but eager anticipation for a world where righteousness dwells. Infinitely better than, than whatever things we might find to enjoy in this life. A place where righteousness dwells. So then... Peter concludes, Dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. He encourages us to live in accordance with the life and world that are, we are looking forward to. Although we know that we can never be perfect, and that good only comes in our lives as a result, 
of God working through his Holy Spirit in us, Peter also encourages us to work toward it. Another paradox. Where we know that being spotless, blameless, and at peace with God can only come through the work of the Holy Spirit, and yet we were also asked to work toward it. We are most at peace with God as we are most like Him. And we are most like Him through the work of Jesus Christ in His life and as that reflects in our lives. And as Peter moves on to other thoughts in the verses following this text, he makes one more comment about, <coughs> about God's patience. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Patient anticipation. In the season of Advent, we remember the anticipation of Jesus' first Advent as he came as a baby. We look forward to the anticipation, uh, with anticipation, to his second Advent. If we are to be at peace as we wait and anticipate something that is at at an uncertain date in the future, perhaps even today, perhaps next year, perhaps next century, or beyond, if we are to be at peace, as the world around us tells us that we should look around and see that God doesn't work, if we are to be at peace as we wait for God's work that He has promised, it will take patience from God, and we are called to be patient. And this patience is not a patience of inactivity, but a patience of following God. And this patience is not produced out of nowhere, but out of the knowledge that God is present and that He is patient. And this patience and the activity it involves are not something that we simply produce within ourselves, but they come as we rest on what it means for God to be patient. God is patient. He is patient with the desire that we all would be saved. And His patience is full of activity, full of His activity to make that happen. So as we desire and long to be patient in anticipation of Jesus' second coming, we look to God's patience and what it means for us. And as we desire to be active in this patient anticipation we look to God's activity and how He works through us. And may He work in us to be patient and active and at peace as we wait for Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the patience that You have for us, for us as humans and others that we know to come to You to be saved. Thank You that You are patient with us and waiting for us. And as you do, I ask that you would, be, would help us to be patient, waiting for your return, patience, patient with a similar type of patience to yours, a patience that comes from you and that is active in bringing your word to people around us. Work through us to do your work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
for our closing song. I'll invite you to stand.